Today's scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along, and the reading will also be on the screen beside me. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. I know what you're thinking. I brought a friend um, <laughs> with that text. You're like, wait a minute. I wish I would have known ahead of time. Um, this text is a heavy text. It's a weighty text, but it's a needed text. It's a needed text, particularly in our environment and in our culture. And so today, as we do every time here at the Park Church, we're going to wade through uh, the words of Jesus and look at them and ask the Holy Spirit to, to impress them upon our hearts. And particularly, we're in a study on the stories that Jesus told, the parables. And uh, we call this series the Portraits of the Kingdom, because what we believe Jesus is doing with these parables, with these stories, is he's painting these pictures for his disciples and anyone who would hear what the kingdom of God looks like, what the power of the kingdom of God looks like, what the cost of the kingdom of God looks like. And we've partnered with a few different people in our church, artists in our community, who in particular this week, we have uh, Jeff Simpson who created this. He's a digital artist who created this art piece. We've had oil paintings and different things to provoke our imagination around the stories of Jesus, around what Jesus is, is saying through his words uh, in a text like this. And again, this text, um, I'll kind of lean against things like what Charles Spurgeon would say about a text like this. You just kind of open the gate and let the lion out, Okay. Like, it doesn't require a lot of unpacking. You heard the same words from Jesus I just heard. And I think while Jesus was very clear, his words are not easy for us to understand. And I think in, in many situations when we come across texts like this, especially in an American context, we have a way of sanitizing or domesticating the words of Jesus or the parables of Jesus to make it more palatable to our uh, 2023 ears in McKinney, Texas, right? We, we interpret the parables uh, as cute little stories with nice, clean, safe American conclusions until you get to a passage like this. 
In a parable like this, and Jesus tells, in fact, two parables in this, in this section. And we really have one of two options. Either we are going to reject the words of Jesus in this parable about the cost of following him and what it looks like, or we will receive. We'll count the cost and we will receive the words of Jesus. But let me be careful with you because rejection can take many forms. Rejection can take the form that I just explained early on by just making, trying to soften the words of Jesus, trying to make it more palatable, trying to sanitize it, if you will, for our American ears and our American mindset. That's one way of rejecting. Some of you are just going to outright reject it and be like, this is, this, uh, no way, not at all. I'm not willing to pay that price. Others of you are going to consider what Jesus is going to say today, and by faith we're praying that you would receive Christ. But in many ways... I want to talk you out of following Jesus this morning. I want to talk you out of following him. I think that's what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 14. Look at it with me, the first couple of verses. The first verse, now great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus, and he turned and said to them. So this is, at this moment in Jesus' ministry, one of his most popular seasons in terms of his crowds gathering around him. Luke tells us that, that there are massive crowds gathering. And why are massive crowds gathering around him? Well, because his reputation has preceded himself, right? He's an incredible teacher. He's a miracle worker. There have been healings that have come from him. There, there have been, there, there's been this reputation of Jesus that people flock to and they want to they see, they want to be around, they want to maybe observe a, a miracle in what he's doing. And it's in that moment, really at the, the pitch or the pinnacle of Jesus' popularity, that he then turns to the whole crowd and looks at them and goes, hey, listen, you want to follow me? And not just like in a crowd, not just in a, as like a spectator, but no, like as a disciple, as one of my own. If you want to follow me, here's what it looks like. You better hate your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, and your kids. And I have to think that the disciples at this moment, right, the 12 who followed him most intimately, are like, oh no, oh no. Like, did he really just do that? Did he really just say, you've got to hate, the, you've got to hate your family? Like, what, what, is, what is Jesus saying in that moment? Like, first off, this should clarify that Jesus wasn't trying to amass a massive following. Jesus' goal was not to be popular with the crowds. Jesus' heart ambition was not to be successful, right? Jesus' goal was not to, in fact, build a movement. That wasn't Jesus' primary goal. He's going to be moving a mountain far greater than a movement and gathering people. And that's why I think at this moment, he's like, let, let me just try to talk you out of following me right here. Here's what it looks like to follow me. And so I want to give a warning up here. There are many of you in this room that you appreciate Jesus. You maybe have a respect for Jesus. But let me tell you, that does not mean you worship him or have an accurate determination of who he actually is. A respect, an admiration, an appreciation does not mean you actually worship Jesus. And I'm going to try to be as humble and kind, but as clear as I can this morning with what Jesus is asking from his own words. Christianity, make no mistake about it, Christianity is about living your whole life based on the truth that Jesus Christ is king. And when I say king, I mean ultimate, supreme. And so now let's look at the text where Jesus says to hate your family. 
Now, here's where some of you go, see, this is the Bible contradicting itself. Because even in the Old Testament, it's like one of the big ones, right? Like, love your father and mother. And here Jesus rolls up on the scene and is like, hate them? What is Jesus doing? What Jesus is doing is he's identifying in all of us something that every human deals with. And it's this idea of conflicted loves. Conflicted loves. In our hearts, we have all of these conflicting loves that are jockeying for position. And there are some loves that rightfully bubble up to the surface, right? The love for your spouse, the love for your kids, the love for your family, right? Those bubble up as a priority love in our hearts. But this priority love, Jesus is going after. And he's going, that love would even look like hate in light of your love for me. So he's going, the priority love, the first love in your life, if, you, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, if you're going to accurately count the cost in light of your love for me, everything else is going to look like hate. In these parables, they are comparative analogies. And so Jesus isn't using a scare theology here. He isn't using just hyperbole. He's using very pointed prophetic language to describe what our two loves should look like. And to be honest, we get this to some extent. In most analogies I was trying to think of failed in comparison because these, the words are just so strong in this text. But, but I'm going to try, try with this one. Um, how many of y'all got pets? Okay. How many of y'all got pets? Oh, aren't you cute? Okay. Um, I had dogs at one time with my family. Uh, we had a French bulldog that passed away. Well, yeah, that, was, that was Chunk. Uh, Chunk uh, passed away in COVID. Okay. And uh, so I have three kids as well. And uh, so... Obviously, with Chunk going away, my wife's like, we got to get another dog immediately, right? Another French bulldog. And then insert Waffles. Waffles is this new French bulldog that comes into my house, okay? And uh, so we're raising Waffles. Waffles is cute. Everybody's like, oh, my family's loving him. Well, my, my son at this point is two, three years old, my youngest. And uh, we notice he starts like breaking out in this really bad, like severe, severe body rashes, like really bad, okay? And we're trying everything. I mean, we're buying the lotions. We're talking to people. We, we made lotion at the house. We made homemade lotion, y'all. And, uh, and so we were trying everything to get rid of these. And, and nothing, I mean, so much so, that he was in just so much pain that he, he was like, I want new legs. Like his, they, were just, they were just covered, right? I mean, my heart's breaking. And uh, we're not knowing what's going on. We cut out gluten and dairy and gluten dairy and whatever else. Like, I mean, I don't even know what we cut out. We cut out everything. We're like, you're just having water, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and then we figured that could be bad for you too. So no, anyway, um, just straight soda. Um, kidding. We didn't do that, okay? Um, but we were like cutting everything out and nothing, nothing worked, okay? And so we went back to the doctor and we're like, nothing's worked. We tried all these things. He's like, you know, we, we need to do allergy testing, Okay? And so, but like real legit, like draw blood from, from your two or three-year-old, which I'm like, good luck, pal. You know, <laughs> go for it. I dare you. I can't get him to sit still for dinner. Um, and uh, anyway, he did it. Our doctor's a miracle worker, right? He drew a vial. And uh, so we get the results back and we look at the results and um, we're like, this kid is not allergic to anything except Waffles. Right, not those waffles either. Like waffles, only thing on his chart. Like red, 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 red. Like pet dog dander. And so we go to the doctor. We're like, "What do we do?" And the doctor's like, "What do you do?" <laughs> yeah, like what? What do we do? He's like, 
you get rid of the dog, right? You know, he's like, you got to get rid of the dog. And uh, so we prayed about it, and uh, we were like, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> no, we didn't, right? We didn't pray about it, right? We knew what we had to do, right? So we walked in, and we loaded up waffles as hard as it was. It really wasn't that hard. Why? Because now my child is no longer suffering. We, we gladly gave away waffles. I know some of you are going to ask, what happened to waffles, right? Uh, waffles was placed with somebody in our church, and let me just tell you, waffles does not want to return back to my home <laughs> after being placed in this home, okay? So waffles is doing just fine and my son is doing just fine as well but how many know like that decision for us was really easy it was really easy for us to go in light of our child's suffering that dog is pretty meaningless right it is meaningless to us so we made that decision easy that's where Jesus is going listen when you come and you follow me and you experience true new life in me this is what it looks like to be a disciple that my love the supreme love of your life is for me and totally for me in fact, in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus is talking to the seven churches, you know that, 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 those chapters at the end of your Bible, the church at Ephesus, Jesus makes an interesting indictment about them around this idea. And look at it in verse 4. It says, but I have, he talks before this about all the good things the church at Ephesus is doing and their works and yada, yada, yada. But he says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That something has changed, something in those conflicted loves, that the priority love you have for me, that you must have for me as a disciple, has found its place in other areas and other priorities. And for some of you, that is true. That there's this conflicted love in your life, and Jesus goes, no, there's one true love in your life, and that is Jesus. And let me tell you, let me be clear with this text. Jesus is not telling you to hate your spouse. He's saying to love your spouse well is to love me first. To love your kids well is to love me first, right? To love your family well, to love those other loves appropriately, here's what you have to do. Love me first. Then all of those other loves will find their priority. What is that thing in your life that you just tremble if you lost it? It was interesting between services, somebody came up to me and, and shared with me. I appreciated them doing this. They didn't have to share with me what the Lord was doing in their heart around that question. He was like, this was a grown man. He was like, I, I quaked at the thought if the Lord asked me to give this up. Conflicted loves. And Jesus is going, listen, I want to remove the conflict. You have one priority love, and that is me. That is me. But how do we do that? How do we do that? And I think that's where Jesus goes into the teaching on the two parables. These two parables, the first one, and you can read it in, in verses uh, 27 all the way through 32, these two parables. The first one about a builder building a tower. And he goes, no builder starts to build a tower without doing what? First counting the cost going, do I have enough money to finish this tower? Do I have enough money to, to complete this project? So you weigh and count the cost first. And he says that the second one, uh, nearly similar, is, is this king. No king goes out to battle against a foe that has more soldiers than him without first counting the cost of what it's going to take. And he's like, if they, if they weigh the cost, they go, we don't have enough soldiers to do this. What does it say? It says that he goes and makes a peace treaty. Like a king weighs or counts the cost before he goes out to battle or he makes this, this peace treaty with, with the other nation. And the, the point of those two parables is actually pretty simple. 
It's the one Jesus is trying to press. Listen, count the cost before you begin the endeavor. Count the cost before you begin the journey. Understand what it's going to cost you. Now, we've all seen those buildings or those structures, right? I grew up uh, near the Lake of the Ozarks in, in Missouri, and there was this one structure that sat on the lake. Incom- it, it was just incomplete for, I don't know, two decades or something like that. And what was funny about that project is everybody had their own little myth about why that project wasn't fulfilled, right? Like, oh, well, it was because of this. It was because of that. But at the root of all of it was the same. They all ran out of money, right? They didn't count the cost and really understand what it was going to take to finish or complete that building. And so Jesus is using these two stories to bring before us, hey, believer, hey, someone who is face-to-face with Christ, have you counted the cost, the true cost of what it means to follow Jesus? And the first thing you must understand is that he is your priority love in your life. And all other loves find themselves below him. And so what does that look like? The first thing I think Jesus says in verse 27, look at this. Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. And I skipped a section there on purpose. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross can't be my disciple. Look at verse 33. Same same after the, the parable. So therefore, if any of you who do not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So here we have Jesus laying the terms of the cost. You've got to bear your cross and renounce all that you have. I brought a friend. What is Jesus saying? You see, everything in us wants to either reject this or run from it. Or if you're brave enough, maybe here's what you do you try to redefine it. You ever been there with God's word? You try to put your own definition that you're palatable with, right? Right, well, well, maybe what he means by bearing our own cross is putting up with this person. That's what he means. Or maybe it's about quitting social media. That's bearing my cross, quitting coffee or tea. Those things might be fine and the Lord might be asking you. That's not what bearing your cross means. Or how about renounce all that you have? Listen, I did a lot of research this week in the original Greek language to figure out if I could change or alter or bring a different definition of all to you this morning. Sorry to burst your bubble. All means everything. Renounce everything, all that he has. That person then can be my disciple. Now let's look at this. What was the cross? The cross for his original context, his original audience, was unmistakably an instrument of death. It wasn't this cute symbol. It wasn't this this little poetic, symbolic thing that they used. It was very literal to them when they heard it. They're like, Jesus, you just said to bear what? That instrument was painful. It was gradual. And it was final when you picked it up. That it means being willing to pay any price, any amount of shame or embarrassment or reproach or rejection or persecution or even martyrdom. It prepared them to be ridiculed, spit on, to be seen and treated as a criminal, to be thought of as guilty of shameful things. That's what the cross meant to this original audience. So let me ask you this question. Do you think it means any less for us today in 2023? Count the cost. You might begin to realize how flippant that statement, well, this is my cross to bear, actually is. Well, this job is just my cross. No. 
Well, this relationship is just my cross. No, it might be a thorn in your side, but it's not a cross for you to bear. The first Christians who heard these words, they heard them with an urgency and with a finality. So many first Christians, they were, they were submerged into contexts where them proclaiming Christ meant literally, particularly in Rome, where they were hung on crosses for their faith in Jesus Christ. Kyle, but we're not in that context. You're right. Praise God we're not in that context, right? But does the meaning that Jesus was saying in this have any lesser importance? any lesser significance to us in a different context? No, not at all. That it will mean death to self. And let me tell you, this isn't just countercultural. This is counterintuitive, like I've said. This goes against our instincts. But here's the reality. In this room, so many of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know exactly what this means in your life. But you don't just know it as a way of surrender. You know it that this surrender actually opens the door to something so much greater than the loss that you experience, right? And listen, I can try to explain that all I want, but until you experience it by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not until that moment of true surrender in your life that you actually experience the joy and the value on the other side of the cost of following Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just say, take up your cross. He doesn't just say, renounce all that you have. He says something in 27, verse 27, that I think we skip over. So he says this, look at it in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. I think some of you have made a miscalculation on what the cost of discipleship or ask of Jesus in discipleship actually is. I think some of you have thought that Jesus is asking you to, to work harder, to do more, just to, to, to bear down. Like Jesus is asking you to, 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 to start a nonprofit or jump into to church ministry or those things. And those things might be what he's asking you. But listen, that is not the road of discipleship. That is not what he's asking you to do primarily. The first thing he is asking you to do is to understand your first love, and that is to him. And the second thing he is asking you to do is to actually count the right cost of what it means to actually follow him. Not the things I just listed. What it means to follow Jesus or to come after, as verse 27 says this, is to imitate him. Christians means little Christ, to take or embody the person and work of Jesus. So hear me, discipleship or the cost of discipleship is in one hand surrender, whole life surrender, but it's also in the other hand, whole life pursuit. Pursuit after the heart and character and nature of Jesus Christ. It's taking on the things Jesus took on. John chapter 20, I believe it's verse 21, where he's talking to his disciples uh, before leaving them. He says, listen, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you out, right? That anyone who would come after me, he says, would be full of the Holy Spirit, take on his nature and his likeness, and be sent out, be whole life pursuers of what Jesus pursued. And here's what Jesus pursued. A relationship with the Father. The presence of God. The abiding presence of his Father was his whole life's goal and mission. You say, wait a minute, but he came to live, to die, to be resurrected. Absolutely. But where did he get all of, if you will, the fuel to live that faithful life? By the abiding presence of him and his Father. 
And so our life as disciples is whole life surrender and whole life pursuit of Jesus Christ to be in his presence, to be with him and to abide in him as he was in the Father so that we then know how to live, so that we then know how to imitate Christ in laying down our lives as he laid down his life. So let me tell you, it is surrender and pursuit of all that we are. That's the cost. That's the ask. And John Stott, um, in talking about this text, he says that Christians get somewhat involved. I think he's talking about the church, actually, in this. He says Christians get somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. So pause right there. Can you really say you're following Jesus in the words that Jesus says, bear a cross, if your faith doesn't cost you anything? Right? I've said this before, in the East meaning the, the East, they, ra- they fear the raised fist. In the West, we fear the raised brow. Meaning, what will people think of me? How will they treat me uh, at work or in those? Will they respect me? You're not uncomfortable in your faith. He goes on to say, their religion is a great soft cushion that protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life, but does not transform their lives in radical ways. No wonder cynics dismiss religion as escapism. Have you ever heard that one from somebody who is not walking with Jesus, right? Or somebody who's a skeptic, right? They go, religion's just, it's therapy. It's just escapism. It's just something you need to kind of make it through life. Listen, I believe the American westernized version of Jesus and his call to discipleship, probably that fits, but not the biblical call of discipleship. This is not escapism. This is us laying our whole lives down at King Jesus' feet. And in that laying or giving our whole lives, we actually find life. Wait, what? In death, we find life. That's the gospel, y'all. That in the death of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, we have life. In the death of ourselves, in the faith in Jesus, we have life. So the question I just want to lay before you this morning from the text is this. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you actually heard the words of Jesus from the word of God clearly? And then for some of you, I want to ask this question. Are you willing to go the distance? Are you willing to go the distance with Jesus? You say, how will I know that? Faithfulness over time and particularly in those moments and those seasons of suffering where life circumstances get really hard and the pressing and the crushing begins to happen, where do you turn? How do you turn? Do you turn at all? Where the waves crash against you, do you find yourself in utter despair? Do you find yourself angry at God? Do you find yourself in that moment going, forget this. Like, I didn't know this was part of the the cost of following Jesus. I didn't know that this was part of following him, right? I thought this was gonna be cupcakes and roses, right? Listen, that's why we need saints who have walked with Jesus for a long, long time in our community, right? So that when we find ourselves in despair, as we all have found ourselves in, we can pull alongside those saints who have walked with Jesus 30, 40, 50, 60 years and go, talk to me about God's faithfulness. Encourage my heart because it's lacking in steadfastness right now. Listen, the cost of following Jesus is high. But as Dallas Willard says it, the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. 
the cost of what we're forfeiting, when we look at the cost of what Jesus says and we say, no thanks. What we forfeit in that decision is far greater. We forfeit the abiding peace that Christ is offering us. We forfeit what he calls in John 10, 10, life and life to the full, that, that abundant life, that purpose that we're all longing and scraping for. Jesus goes, I have it for you and it's in me. And it's for you. And so this morning, uh, it would be foolish of us not to pause and stop everything. We have time, we have moments here for us to weigh the words of Jesus, for us to allow the Holy Spirit to press those into our hearts, to confront us like, like he was doing in the 9 a.m. with that one particular guy going, if I lost that love, I don't know what I'd do. The Lord wants to show you his grace and his mercy. He wants to show you his goodness and his kindness. That if you're willing to be that vulnerable before the Lord, he's going to meet you in that place. And you're going to feel his love and his care like never before. So let's, let's pause. Let's stop all of us right here. And begin to ask the Lord, have I really counted the cost? remember nearly 20 years ago this passage wrecking me in the most beautiful ways confronting my religiosity with the truth of scripture was I really willing to die to myself was I really willing to lay down that plan that I had those dreams? Was I willing to lay down my literal life? And for some of you, you're willing to do the massive things for the Lord. Give my life. Lord, tell me to move to Thailand, I'll go. You're wanting those massive things. But what the Lord is looking for is that daily obedience, that daily faithfulness, that abiding, that willingness to lay down your schedule. Yeah, you'd lay down your literal life, but how about your schedule? Your time. Listen, I love this church so much. But even for me and my wife and my family, this church is held with open hands to go, Lord, this is your church. Do what you want with her. My life is yours. Do what you want with it. Everything. All. pray for us as we enter communion.
Holy Spirit, use these moments. Speak to our hearts through the word of God. God, you confronted me with these words 20 years ago. You confronted me again with these words today. It is the same power. It is the same humility. It's the same joy that I approach them with and say, do whatever you want. My life is yours. Forgive me for living my life for me. Forgive me for building my own kingdom. Lord, teach me today what it means to renounce and to turn to you and to discover again the joy of my salvation, the joy of the road of discipleship. Holy Spirit, speak to us as we receive your elements. In Jesus' name, you can lead us.